Welcome to Crossroad International Church, where it's all about Jesus. If you are in Kuwait and looking for a church to call home, we would love the opportunity to welcome you at one of our Friday services. Now, here is this week's message. Open with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. We're continuing today our series on Hebrews, um, Jesus is Better, the Supremacy of Christ. And today is kind of going to be a Bible study lesson on the tabernacle because this first 10 verses of Hebrews chapter 9 talks about the earthly sanctuary. So Hebrews reminds the readers that regulations and practices in the tabernacle were ordained by God. It wasn't something that they just came up with. It was God's plan for the nation of Israel. And at that point and at that time, it was what God had intended for His people. But it wasn't the end of everything. It was a foreshadowing. It was a picture of Christ who would come. Today we want to look at the earthly sanctuary and then in a couple of weeks we'll look at the heavenly sanctuary that is based on the blood of Christ. But I want to go today and study the tabernacle or the sanctuary that our scripture calls it and give you five deficiencies or five things of why this earthly tabernacle was not the final plan of God. And the first one is that it was an earthly sanctuary, chapter 9, verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. So notice that it was divine service. It wasn't man-made service. It was service that was directed by God but it was in an earthly tabernacle. This earthly tabernacle was made by man. It was using earthly building material, so to speak, but the plan came from God. The Jewish people generously brought their gifts for the building of the tabernacle, so much so that they had to say, please tell the people to quit giving. We've got too much stuff. God then put his anointing and gave special wisdom to a couple of men to be able to fashion all of the items that were in the tabernacle that God had showed Moses on the mountain. You can read a lot about this in Exodus chapter 40. And even though when the tabernacle was finished, the glory of God moved in, it was still an earthly tabernacle. And it was still just a shadow of a, or a picture of what God was going to do. Being an earthly tabernacle, it had several weaknesses. For one thing, maintenance. I don't think the Goat skins and the ram skins and the badger skins and all of those things lasted forever. When they moved, the whole thing had to be taken down. It had to be carried by men to the next place. It had to be set up. 
and it belonged to the nation of Israel. It wasn't for the whole world. It was for, at that time, one nation. So it was an earthly sanctuary. Verses 2 through 5, we will see that it was a type or a picture of something greater. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on the sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the commandment. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. And I won't speak in detail either if you can bring up that first slide. This is just a kind of an artist rendition of the, the tabernacle or the sanctuary. You have this part here on the outside. Sorry, let me not do that over on this side. If you see the, the part toward the bottom of the screen, you have the brazen altar where the sacrifices are made and then the laver where the, the priest would cleanse themselves. That is the only part of the entire structure that was open to the people. They would come there, they would offer their sacrifices at the altar the brazen altar, and they couldn't go any further than that. All of that work was done by priests. The priests would then go to the laver. They would wash their hands to make themselves holy, to be able to go in to that first curtain, which is called the holy. That was where the priest went. They would go in there daily. They would trim the lamp, the wicks on the lamps. They would add oil in the lamps. They would make sure... They would change weekly. They would change the bread out on the tables. Daily they offered the incense on the altar of incense. So go to the next slide. Okay, this kind of shows you that same picture but a little different detail. So what we have here is you have the court where the altar of burnt offering and the brazen basin. And then you have the first veil and inside there you have the table of showbread or called the table of presents. On the other side you have the golden lampstand, the only light that was in the holy place. And then you have the altar of incense. The priest would go in there. Daily the priest would go into the holy place. Then you have another curtain which separates the holy place from the holy of holies or the most holy place, some scriptures say. And in there was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, inside of there was God's presence. God's presence was the light in the holy of holies over the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubim. No one was allowed in there except once a year the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would go with blood and we'll get to some of this in a minute and he would offer that sacrifice once a year to cover the sins of the people for a year. Then he would have to come out 
tradition says that he had a rope tied on his leg because on the hem of his garment there was a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate and a bell. Now tradition says they would tie a rope on his leg to where if he went into the Holy of Holies and he had sin in his life, and God struck him dead, they wouldn't hear the bells tinkling anymore as he was walking around, and they could use the rope to pull him out. I mean, this was an interesting job to have. <laughs> Think about it. You go into work, you go into the boss's office, and your colleagues tie a rope around your leg in case something happens and you die in your boss's presence. So we have here the pattern of things that were going to come in heaven. It talks about going into the first place and the second place. The first place is the holy place where the table of showbread, the candelabra, and the altar of incense were. And then the second place is behind the second veil into the holy of holies. That is the veil that was torn when Christ died. You remember? He says, it is finished and the veil was torn from top to bottom. It was that inner veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies to where now anyone can go into God's presence. Amen? So patterns of things in heaven. So let's look at each one of these um, pieces of furniture. And as we said last week, if you notice, there are no chairs. No place to sit and relax. There are no chairs because it was a continual ministry. It wasn't a place that you came in and you just relaxed in God's presence. But I'm so happy today and so glad today that as a son of God, under the new covenant, I can just come and spend time in my Father's presence and call him Abba Father and just spend time with him. Sometimes I try to picture myself sitting in God's lap. Now, you probably couldn't see me because, you know, Scripture gives a description of God, says he sits in the heavens and puts his feet on the earth but God loves us that much so first is the candlestick there was a seven branch golden candlestick that stood there in the sanctuary the lampstand it is called it was the only light that was there and it was produced by burning olive oil with the wick since there were no windows in the tabernacle this was the only light. If you read about the covering over this building, it was about seven layers of hides, plus it was solid wood walls, and the whole inside was covered in gold. So it didn't take a lot of light to light the place up because of the, the reflection off of the gold walls. The nation of Israel was supposed to be the light of the nations. And that's what this represented. Also, it represents that Christ 
is the light of the world, John 8, 12. And believers are to shine as lights in the world, Philippians 2, 14 to 15. You and I are to let our lights shine. How many of you ever sang the song as a kid? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. What? Okay. Hide it under a bushel. <laughs> I'm going to let it shine. Amen. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. That's not just a cute little kid song. That is actual Bible. We are to let our light shine. So that showed that Jesus is the light of the world, and in this new covenant, we are to be the light of the world. The next one, we have the table with the 12 loaves on it, the table of showbread or the table of presents. Each Sabbath, the priest would remove the old loaves, put on fresh loaves, and the old loaves were then eaten by the priest. These loaves were called the bread of presents, and the table was the table of the presents. Only the priests could eat this bread, and they were required to eat it inside of the sanctuary. It was a reminder of the 12 tribes of Israel that they were represented and they were in God's presence. And we are told today in John chapter 6 that Jesus is the bread of life. Amen? Jesus Christ is the bread of life. So each thing that God gave in the tabernacle, in the earthly sanctuary, pointed to something about Jesus. Next stood the altar of incense. And it was placed right in front of the, the second veil that divided the two parts of the tabernacle. It was a golden altar, but it was not inside the Holy of Holies. It was to prepare the high priest because he would have to walk through this incense to get into the Holy of Holies. Now, I will have to admit, after moving to Kuwait and walking through the malls sometimes, I'm not sure that I would have enjoyed this job. Incense is not my thing, okay? But it was part of the worship. Each morning and each evening, the priest would burn incense on the altar. <clears throat> and in Psalm 141, verse 2, David showed that this was a picture of the prayers of the people being offered up to God, that this incense represented the prayers going to God. It can also be a reminder, according to Romans 8, 33 to 34, that Jesus Christ is interceding for you and I today. Jesus is offering up prayers for us. If you want to study what the incense was, it's in Exodus 30, verses 34 and 35, but don't try to make it because the Bible forbids us to use it today. Uh, so don't go there. Amen. The next, we have the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God. 
And in there, there was a wooden chest that was three feet and nine inches long, two feet, three inches wide, two feet, three inches tall. That's by a rough estimate. We don't know the exact dimensions. On the top of the chest was the mercy seat made with gold with the cherubim on each end with their wings spread over. You can go on the internet and look up the furniture of the tabernacle and you can get about a hundred different ideas of what it may have looked like. We don't know for certain. And this was the throne of God in the tabernacle, the mercy seat. That's where God dwelled on earth at that time was in the mercy seat. On the day of the atonement, the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat to cover the ark, to cover the mercy seat, and it covered what was inside the old the Ten Commandments. The old covenant was in. And the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat covered the old covenant. I don't know for a fact... But I can imagine that after four, five, six, ten, fifteen years, there wasn't a lot of gold that could still be seen. All that could be seen then was this, all this blood that had been sprinkled to where the mercy seat was covered by blood. The idea here is that when God looked in this earthly tabernacle and he looked at the mercy seat he didn't see the old covenant he saw that it was covered with blood it was the blood that covered their sin not the ten commandments it was the blood that made them acceptable in God's sight for a year but see Jesus' blood doesn't cover our sin Jesus' blood completely, totally removes our sin. Washes it away. Washes it white as snow. No doubt there are many spiritual truths that are wrapped up in these pieces of the furniture. And I only gave you some ideas. And you can, it's wonderful. When I was in Bible college, we did an entire semester class on the tabernacle and um, got a lot of insight into Christ and his sacrifice and what he did by studying the tabernacle. So if you want something very interesting to do is study the tabernacle and see how it is a picture of Christ. But the most important truth to understand about studying the tabernacle is it was just a picture of what was to come that was better and what was to come was Christ and His new covenant. Therefore, the old covenant, the old sacrifices, the old religion was inferior to what Christ was going to bring. Jesus is better and Christ is supreme. Number 3, verses 6 and 7 talks about it was inaccessible to people. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. 
But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. See, we must not get the idea that the Jews assembled at the tabernacle to worship. They assembled at the tabernacle for sacrifice to be made for their sin. It's different than what we do. We come here today, I hope you came today, to worship God. It's my hope and my desire as a pastor that you came here not because you've been such a terrible sinner all week that you had to come here to get your sins forgiven. Now this is a good place to repent, but hopefully you came to worship God. But the tabernacle was not set up as a place for the people to come worship. It was a place for the people to come offer sacrifice for their sins and their transgressions. And then the priest would go into the holy place and they would worship God on behalf of the people. The priest ministered in the holy place day after day, but only the high priest once a year could go into God's presence. Now, I don't know how this works, and these are things that I think about sometimes. My brain works a little different than most people. When they moved from place to place, the tabernacle was taken down, and the Levites put some golden poles in the Ark of the Covenant, and they carried it on their shoulders. Now, if the high priest was the only one that could go in there once a year, how did they get to the Ark to take it to the next place? I don't know, and it doesn't matter. But I think about things like that sometimes. So That's not something we need to argue about, but... Hey, it, it's good to think about it. I, I think there's special dispensation when they started taking it down. God's presence comes out of there and He turns into the cloud by day and the fire by night as they're traveling. When it's all put back together, His presence is now again over the mercy seat. Why did I throw that in? I have no idea. Other than sometimes that's the way my brain goes, okay? Okay. Once a year, the sacrifice was made in the Holy of Holies. But today, we can come to the holy place. We can come to the throne of God every day, every moment. You don't have to go make sacrifice anymore. The sacrifice was done by Christ on the cross and there is no more sacrifice for sin. You can at any time go to your heavenly Father and ask Him whatever you need. You don't have to come through the pastor. You don't have to go through a church leader. You don't have to go through a priest. You yourself can go immediately into the presence of God. Number four, it was temporary, verse 8. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. As long as the first tabernacle was standing, the way 
for us to enter into the Holy of Holies was blocked. But it's the moment of the sacrifice of Christ when he says it is finished and he gave up the ghost and Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. What happened? The veil was torn from the top to the bottom, showing that it was the work of God, giving open access to all men to the presence of God. The earthly tabernacle was temporary. And lastly, in verses 9 and 10, it was external, not internal. It was symbolic. For the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and freshly ordinances imposed until the time of the Reformation. The tabernacle, the Old Testament form of religion, the sacrifices were offered, the blood was applied to the mercy seat, but it never changed the hearts of the people. It simply covered their sin. All of the associate, all the ceremonies associated with the tabernacle were only about ceremonial purity, not moral purity. But in Christ, we are changed. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. Amen. We are changed from the inside out. God does a work in our spirit and eventually it manifests on the way we act and the way we live and the way we treat people and sometimes even the way we look. Okay, wonderful to know all of that stuff about the tabernacle. But what about today? How do, how do I apply this? And sometimes this is the hardest part of preaching through the book of Hebrews is you can get a lot of good information, you can get a lot of head knowledge, but how do I apply it to today? So let me just give you some truth that is consistent through the earthly sanctuary and the heavenly sanctuary, the old covenant and the new covenant, and things I can take into my life today. Number one, God is holy. Can we all agree to that? God is holy. Jesus' purity, His prayers offered up, His worship and His sacrifice all showed His heart of worship before a holy God. We need to be like Jesus. The second application, the second thing we can understand from the earthly tabernacle and the sacrifice of Jesus is not only is God holy, but I am sinful. Can we all agree with that? Okay, if you can't agree with I am sinful, let's say man is sinful. Can you agree with that? Okay, do me a favor. Point to the heavens. Everybody, come on, do this. Okay, now take it and put it right here. 
This is the one we're talking about, okay? <laughs> I am, you know, we're real easy to point at someone else. You ever heard a message and you're sitting there and you go, man, I wish so-and-so could have been here to hear this. Well, guess what? You were there. You're probably the one that needed to hear it. God is holy. Man is sinful. Since none of us are perfect and pure, the penalty for sin is death. And that penalty was paid not by us but by Christ. The next thing that we can see is the covenant was initiated by God, not man. God was the one that came to Abraham and initiated the covenant with Abraham. God came to Moses and initiated the covenant with Moses. Christ came and died for us, initiating the new covenant. God initiates the means for us to be able to restore our broken relationship with Him through Christ. God initiated it. I hear people say, and I used to say all the time, when I found Jesus. Well, that's a misnomer because most of us weren't looking for Him. Jesus found us. I heard of the old guy in the African bush that was being baptized and the pastor put him under the water brought him up for a minute and said, did you find Jesus? And he said, no. So he put him down and held him for about 30 seconds and pulled him up. Did you find Jesus? No. So he held him down till bubbles started floating up and he pulled him up and he said, did you find Jesus? And he goes, are you sure this is where you lost him? <laughs> it's not what we're talking about. We don't find Jesus, Jesus finds us. He never stopped looking for us. He never stopped drawing us by His Spirit. And then we come to Him. So it's initiated by God. And then lastly, God provides what is needed. God provides the sacrifice to where we can come to Him and live in His covenant. God provided the means so that the Israelites could approach Him, the blood of animals. God provides the means so that we can approach Him directly, the blood of Jesus. And as we've said many times, salvation is the blood of Jesus plus nothing. Belief in the sacrifice of Christ. If you do that, you are assured of your salvation if you believe in the sacrifice of Christ. My closing statement, God has made it possible for us to be restored in relationship with Him and draw near to Him. He had a plan. He initiated it. He made a provision. And that's something for us to celebrate. The Bible says that before the foundations of the world were ever laid, Christ was crucified. When God made the covenant with Abraham, Christ had already been crucified. When God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses in heaven, Christ had already been crucified. When that babe came in a manger on Christmas morning, Christ had already been crucified. 
God had a plan. God initiated the plan and God provided for us the ultimate sacrifice to where we can now live according to His plan. I quoted it earlier, Galatians 2 and 20. I am crucified with Christ. You know, that's hard as a pastor, but one of the jobs of a pastor is to make sure that every member of the congregation is dead to their sin. Amen? Understand what I'm saying? Are we all crucified with Christ? Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I who lives, but Christ lives in me who gave himself for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Hebrews. We thank you that Jesus is better. We thank you that everything about Christ is supreme to the types and the shadows in Scripture. Father, I thank you that even today as we looked at the earthly tabernacle and saw the different furniture, the table of showbread and the lampstand and the altar of incense and the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, that, Father, all of those implements were perfectly fulfilled in Christ that He was the one that paid the ultimate price for our salvation. And Father, I ask today that You would be with us and that You would lead us and guide us and help us to never, never forget that You are holy and we are sinful. And You initiated the covenant and You provided the means for the covenant to be fulfilled. So, Father, all there is for us to do is to trust in you. And today we lay our lives in your hands because you are a great and a mighty God. And Jesus, you are the supreme one. We thank you for the new covenant paid for by your blood that has made the old covenant obsolete Father I thank you that even in the new covenant you've taken the laws that were written on stone and you have now written your laws in our hearts Father many of your laws have been moved from actions to our attitudes and the motives of why we do things Father we ask that you would help us every day to spend time in your word and to spend time in prayer to where we understand what is required of us to live as sons and daughters of God in the kingdom of heaven. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would seal it in our hearts today by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.